Thank you. All right, we're going to have a test tonight. Hope you're ready. Uh, uh, what do they call them? A pop quiz? You've heard of those? This is a pop test. Even better, right, than a pop quiz. What could be better than a pop quiz and something longer and harder? A pop test. All right, so you don't have to write anything down. It's not going to be a test like that, but the test is this. It's a, it's a one-question test, all right, and then you have to give the answer. I can remember this happening in college for a final exam for the a class that was uh, the book of the study of the book of Revelation, and there was one question on that test, and the question was this: uh, uh, write out the story of the book of Revelation. <laughs> that was it, and he said, "Your time starts now." <laughs> And we had to just write as fast as we could, you know, four students were going into writer's cramp, you know, nurses had to be called onto the scene. Okay, no, that didn't happen. But, uh, and uh, this is not a surprise to you, but so I got halfway through the test and I was out of time. And I'd written out the first half of the book of Revelation, not word for word, but the, the story of it. And I ran out of time. Can you believe, imagine that, I ran out of time. Got bogged down in the details. <laughs> You're not surprised, are you? Not surprised at all. So uh, anyway, he gave me a lot of credit for that, and I passed the exam. Anyway, better time management. So the test, you don't have to write anything out, but the test is this. The question is this. One question exam, or a one, uh, one question exam would be this. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Who is he to you? Go ahead. You can answer. He is your Lord and Savior. Somebody else tell me, who is Jesus Christ? He is God. Yes. He is our mediator. He goes between. Yes. He is the Almighty. Somebody else. Rob. He is your example. Yeah, he's our example. Yes, Mr. May. He is our kinsman redeemer. Yes. Very good. Somebody else. We can continue. Yes, Ernie. He is my. He is our friend. Yeah. He is. He is present. God with us. Yeah. Somebody else. He is our comforter. He is our creator. He is our counselor. You guys are passing. Yes. He, that's three answers in one, Rob. Showing off, I'll tell you. No, you're right. He's our. He's a pro, was a prophet, is a priest, and he will serve as king for all of eternity. Yes, I saw another hand. That... Okay, he convicts us of sin. Yes. Somebody else. Who is who is Jesus Christ to you? We can. We're going to talk about him tonight. Who is who is he to you? Yes. He is savior. He's your savior. Yes? He is, he is our leader, our guide. He is the Messiah. What's that? King of kings. Hurt somebody else? Ah, so Jesus, the expression of God in human flesh, and God with us, as was mentioned. Yes, Mr. May. Okay, that's right. First fruits of the resurrection. 
Anybody else? <laughs> um, so one of his names would be the I Am of the Old Testament, Jehovah. Everything that we need, he is. Yes, Rob? Okay, very good. Yes, Kathy? Did you say? Okay. Sorry, I'd make a bad auctioneer. He's holy. That's right. All right. Um, William, would you come on up and lead us in prayer, sir? And uh, William's going to pray. He's, what grade are you in, William? Tenth. And he gets taller every time I see him. He's uh, an excellent one of our teenagers in our youth group. And uh, I think he's a leader. He goes to Faith Baptist School. And William, would you pray for us and ask God to help us tonight? Hey, um, please help this message. Just let it um, inspire people and everything. Give Pastor Ferguson the word speech in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, William. All right. You've got your Bibles. Take them and turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16 in our Bibles. I hope when, whenever, I hope when you, whether you're listening to a song, maybe you're driving down the road, you're listening to some music, or um, and you hear God talked about, um, I'm trying to think of what it was the other day I was listening to. I don't think it was music, but I don't think it was just the scripture being read. I want to say it was a billboard that I saw and it had a verse on it. And as I looked at that verse, I saw, I saw different attributes of God popping out. They, they were obvious to me. He was good. He was loving. He was kind. There were just different attributes of God that were just very obvious to me. And I hope as a result of this study and as you grow to, to know God better and love him more, that maybe when you're in Sunday school class and your teacher's teaching, you know, and he's talking to you about how God is good. And you can remember that's an attribute of God. And he is good. And I love him because he is good. He's good to me. Or whether it's a sermon being preached, or maybe it is, you're just you're listening to the Bible. One thing I love about this time of year is I get to mow the grass more. Okay, mowing the grass isn't that exciting, but putting on my headphones that drown out the, the motor and listening to scripture or listening to good music um, about God, it, it, it encourages me, it, it refreshes me. And I hope you take time for that, uh, maybe when you mow the lawn or something like that. But as you're doing that, I want to better know who God is. I want, I want to worship him. I want to love him. So when we're studying these doctrines, and this one is the doctrine of Christology, the study of Christ, it isn't just for head knowledge. It really is so that we will know our Lord and our Savior better than we do. Christology is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. That's one of your blanks. If you've got a pen and you're writing and taking notes, it's the doctrine of Jesus Christ. It's the study of Christ and what the Bible says about him. Now, people have all kinds of ideas about Jesus. Uh, there are different religions. Uh, I believe even Islam believes that Jesus is a prophet, but they don't believe that he's God. Um, there are different cults that believe that Jesus was a good man, teacher, but they don't believe that he is God. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of people that would say they believe in Jesus, but they don't necessarily, may, they may not believe what the Bible teaches 
Jesus to be or who he is. I think probably the greatest question ever asked concerning man's eternal destiny is this, who is Jesus Christ to you? Uh, we can only come to God but by believing that he is, that Jesus is who he says he is, and that he can save us from our sins, and he's done what he said he has done. Some people wrongfully believe that Jesus was a merely a religious leader, um, falsely claiming to be God. Um, other people wrongfully believe that Jesus was a raging lunatic. The Pharisees believed that. And, uh, and they believed he lived an unbalanced life. Uh, other people believe, and the Pharisees believe this as well about Jesus, that he was a ruthless liar and that he lied about everything, and yet he was willing to die for a lie. But we'll, what the Bible teaches about Jesus is that Jesus is a royal Lord. He is our Lord. And he's someday going to rule and reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords for all of eternity. And I'm, I look forward to that day with great anticipation. You're in Matthew chapter 16. I want to look, first of all, beginning in verse number 13. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. And I'm going to read down through verse 18. And, and this question that I asked you shows up in this passage. Look at verse 13. It says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? This is a preliminary question. He's going to ask another question following this. But he asked them, he says, Who, who do people say that I am? And he asked his disciples that. And uh, look at their response in verse 14. And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias or Elijah, and others Jeremiah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then now here comes the primary question of Jesus to his disciples. He saith unto them in verse 15, but whom say ye that I am? Wow, this is an important question. Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples, he asked them, who do other people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah. You know, a lot of people think a lot of things about you, Jesus. And then he asked them, well, who do you say that I am? Now, when Peter's name shows up in the Bible, you gotta, you got to hold your breath because something's about to happen. All right. And normally Peter does one of two things. Either he gets it incredibly right, or he gets it incredibly wrong. And in this passage, Peter gets it incredibly right. Look at verse number 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that, that, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You know, what's interesting to me is Jesus says these words to Peter. Um, look back there, if you would, in verse number 17. The latter part, he says, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which, are, which is in heaven. 
Listen, if you're here tonight and you know who Jesus is, if you know that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, if you know that he is he, he came as God in human flesh and he lived a sinless life and he died a death, a substitutionary death for you and for me and for the sins of the whole world. And if you know that he rose again and he lives today and he sits in the right hand of the Father, if you know who Jesus Christ is, it's a miracle of God. Because God the Father, just like it was a miracle for Peter to understand who Jesus was, it is a miracle for you and for me to know who Jesus Christ is today. Not everybody knows who Jesus Christ is. A lot of people take his name in vain. A lot of people use his name with swear words and as a swear word. But a lot of people don't know who Jesus Christ is. And they don't know him. They don't know him personally. And so if you know him personally, you ought to, we ought to praise God tonight that, that God the Father has revealed to us who Jesus Christ is. Now, there's a couple of things I want to run through uh, quickly, and then we'll get to the main part. But you know, you'll notice number one there, and some names of Jesus Christ. There are many more than the ones I've listed here. But some names of Jesus, letter A, one would be Christ. In John chapter 1 and verse 41, the Bible says this, that Andrew uh, first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Getting uh, nothing. Where should I aim it, Pastor Bruno? Right there. There we go. Oh, did you do that, Josh? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, I did it again. I don't know. I, yeah, that's not a fundamentally sound gesture if you're preaching. Just tap it. All right, thanks. Perfect. All right. Thank you, sir. All right, so let's see here. There we go. So Andrew first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah. And that's an Old uh, Testament term, Messiah, a Hebrew term, which is being interpreted the Christ. So Christ in the New Testament is, is the New Testament name for the Old Testament word Messiah, which means anointed one. Anointed one. The name Christ, the name Christ pictures Jesus in his three offices. And these were mentioned, Rob mentioned these, prophet, priest, and king. Uh, prophet, priest, and king. And again, Jesus was a prophet. He functioned as that when he was here on earth. He would prophesy. Um, he serves today as our great high priest and um, still interceding for us to this day. And someday Jesus will rule and reign as king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, just a food for thought for you tonight is Jesus, I could ask a couple of questions. One is, is he functioning as a king today? I could ask another question, is he the king in your life? the king of your life? Is he ruling in your heart and in my heart? Or are we serving other gods? Or are we serving Lord Jesus Christ? Are we worshiping him? Are we obeying him as king of kings and Lord of lords? Um, letter B says that Jesus is, another name for Jesus is the son of God, son of God. 
Let's see here. Uh, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, now, the name Son of God, and you see it in your notes, it, the name indicates Christ's position in the Trinity. In the Trinity. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It, it emphasizes His deity. And the, the name Son of God used, is found primarily in the Gospel according to John. Uh, and it really is one of the emphasis of the book of John. And we saw that as we were doing our study there. Um, letter C, son of man. Now, this is interesting. So he, he, names for Jesus, one is Christ, one is the son of God, another here is the son of man. Um, and the name, this name, the son of man, emphasizes Christ's humiliation. Think about that. The, the name son of God would emphasize his deity, but the Son of Man, that name would emphasize Jesus' humiliation. And the phrase Son of Man is used approximately 80 times in the Gospels. 80 times this term is found, this name is found. And all of those times, except for one time, the name is used by Christ. Jesus would speak of himself as the Son of Man. Only one time... Uh, did he not? Did someone else refer to him as the Son of Man? So apparently Jesus wanted to conceal his deity until the time was right to reveal that to the world. And the, son, the name Son of Man is, the, is emphasized in the, the Gospel according to Luke. Uh, letter D, another name for Jesus, is God. And uh, one of you mentioned that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8 says this, but unto the Son, and i got to give you the context of this here, this is a conversation, this is a recorded conversation between God the Father and Jesus Christ. Okay, so you get an idea, a little insight into a conversation they had. But unto the Son, that would be Jesus, he, the Father, saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Isn't that interesting? God the Father refers to his Son as what? As God. Isn't that amazing? So the Father calls the Son God. So Jesus is God. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says this, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's no comma there. It's all one. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. They're all one. Um, letter E is Lord, another name for Jesus found in the Bible. And this title emphasizes his position as master and king and ruler. Did you write that one down, Will? Ruler. Find that blank. Letter E. He's the ruler of our lives. When we sing hymns about him as Lord, he is Lord, he is Lord. Uh, what are we saying? He's the ruler of my life. He's risen from the dead, and He is Lord. He's the, he's the ruler of my life. I obey His command. I want to know what He wants. I want to do what He wants. I love Him. He's my Lord. Okay. And we mentioned different things. Who is Jesus to you? And somebody said friend, and that, that was beautiful. And Jesus is a friend. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, but He's also Lord. And that this name, Lord, is uh, come, it has that idea of uh, supreme authority. Not just the idea, that's what it means, supreme authority. Uh, one of the strongest 
Testaments uh, in, uh, upon the deity of Christ was given by Thomas. What do we know about Thomas? We, we think of doubting, right? Thomas doubted. That's what we tend to think about Thomas. But actually, his statement about who Jesus is is one of the most profound statements found in all of the Bible about the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, let's look there. John chapter 20. Let's take our Bibles and go over there. John chapter 20. John chapter 20 and verse 24. John 20 and verse 24. And I'll read down through verse number 29. You remember Jesus had appeared to some of the disciples. and They realized he was alive and Thomas wasn't there. So Jesus came back another time and he appeared again. And this time Thomas was there. And let's. And the first time is this, the, the apostles had said to Thomas, he is alive, we saw him. And Thomas had said what? Unless I can put my fingers in the prints of the nails, unless I can thrust my hand, my fist into his side, I, I will not believe. And so this is where we pick it up, verse number 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. He said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Wow. I will not believe. I've been told that before by people. I will not believe. Verse number, this is one of his apostles. Verse 26. And after eight days again, his disciples were within Thomas with them. And then came Jesus, the doors being shut. And stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. And then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy, thy hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. That's an amazing change of belief. He went from saying, I will not believe unless I can see. And finally, when Jesus appeared unto him, he said, My Lord and my God. And look at verse 29. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Hey, how many people do you know? Do you know anybody who has not seen Jesus Christ in the, in the flesh? But you, Do you know anybody who has not seen him, but they still believe in him? Any of them close to you? There's a few. That's all of us. That's who Jesus was talking about here. He said, blessed are they who haven't seen, but they believe anyway. He says to Thomas, you believe because you saw me. But these people, are, they're not going to have the chance to see me, but they're going to believe anyway. Isn't that neat how Jesus sometimes would talk about us in the future? And uh, blessed are they. who He was talking about you and me. Now, now think about this portion of scripture here. We're looking at um, letter E. And I'll go ahead and pull up this portion of scripture that we, we just talked about, where Thomas answers and he says unto him, my Lord and my God. Now, I want to think about this, the words that Thomas used here. Uh, the word Lord is that Greek word kurios. It means supreme authority. And it, it is, it is uh, basically the same idea as the old, as the Hebrew name for God, Adonai, Adonai. So when Thomas said, my Lord, 
he was saying a couple of things. He was saying that you are the supreme authority and you are Adonai. You're Adonai. You know, Thomas, I don't know how old Thomas was, um, but you know, Thomas had lived a lot of his life without ever knowing Jesus. He'd only been with Jesus a few years. He'd only seen these miracles for a few years. He had lived most of his life not knowing who Jesus was, not knowing him as Curios or Lord or Supreme Authority. But Thomas had been raised to know who Adonai was. And Adonai was God. Adonai was God. And Thomas knew who God was. But he didn't know who Jesus was yet. But after Thomas uh, followed Jesus and learned from Jesus, and ultimately on this day, he stands there and he says, my Lord, he's saying, my Adonai. He's saying, Jesus, you are God. He also uses the term here, uh, theos, or God. And you see it in your English Bibles, God. And the equivalent of that in the Old Testament would be Elohim, the one to be feared. The one to be feared. This is amazing. This is an amazing testimony. When Thomas answered, he says unto him, the one who hadn't been believing, the one who was uh, hesitant to believe uh, Jesus, that Jesus had risen from the dead, when Jesus shows him his hands and his side, Thomas' response is, my Lord and my God, my Adonai, my Elohim. Uh, letter F, another name for Jesus, or I should say the same name for Jesus, is Jesus. But I want to talk, talk about him just a few moments. In Matthew chapter 1, and verse 21, the Bible says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Savior of all those who believe upon his name. This is a wonderful, glorious truth. Jesus will save everyone who will believe upon his name. Uh, Jesus is the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Joshua. Yeshua. Joshua. So when you look in the Old Testament, there's a Bible character. Remember the 12 spies that spied out the land of Canaan and 10 were bad and 2 were good? Can you name for me the two good spies? Caleb and Joshua. Yeshua. That's, uh, they would have said it more like that. They wouldn't have said it Joshua. I have a brother named Joshua. If he'd been raised Hebrew or uh, in Israel, they would have called him Yeshua. Yeshua. Okay? Um, and when you see the name Joshua in the Old Testament, it, is, it would be the equivalent of Jesus in the New Testament. But Jesus is the Savior of all those who believe on his name. Um, a letter G, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. In Matthew 1, and verse 23, the Bible says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Pastor Burden mentioned that. God with us. Now you say you misspelled it. Well, Emmanuel, in your notes, I spelled it the way it would be spelled in the Old Testament, I think in Isaiah, but yes, I kind of did. Number two, number two, number two, Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God. In Philippians chapter two, um, the Bible says in verse five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, what would you say 
if I told you that I was equal with God? How would you respond to that? <laughs> you wouldn't be throwing tomatoes. All right, you would, you'd call me a heretic, and rightfully so. Am I equal with God, yes or no? No. Is any man or woman in this room equal with God? No. Is anybody on the earth equal with God? No. But Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because he was God, and he is God. Jesus Christ is God. Letter A says the Old Testament prophesied of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that was the sign, a virgin. Uh, a lady who had never had any sexual relations with any man, ever. A virgin would conceive. And have us and bear a son. That was going to be the sign. That was going to be, that doesn't happen. That was going to be a miracle. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So the Old Testament prophesied that Jesus Christ is God. He's going to be God. Letter B says the New Testament tells us that Jesus is God. So both the Old Testament and the New Testament agree. Letter B, the New, uh, letter B, the New Testament tells us that Jesus is God. Um, in John 1, verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later on in verse number 14 in John chapter 1, the Bible says, And the Word was made flesh. The Word, who was God, who was with God and was God, in verse 1, in verse 14 it says, The Word became flesh, a man, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I love Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. It's an amazing statement about who Jesus is. And listen to this. In Colossians 2 and verse 9, the Bible says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Wow. That's an amazing statement. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All of them. <laughs> A three persons, one God, but all that God is in him. That is an amazing statement. Because Jesus claimed to be God, many Jews wanted him killed. Many of them, they accused Jesus of being a blasphemer, a liar. They did. They, they called him a liar. Can you, can you imagine that? They looked at truth in the eyes, and they scoffed at him, and they mocked him and ridiculed him, and they called him a liar. That's amazing. Isn't that, isn't that, a, that, that's incredible to think about. I mean, it's one thing, you call somebody else a liar, and somewhere along that person's life, they lied. But not Jesus. And yet they, they mocked him, they called him a liar. They believed Jesus was guilty of blasphemy. Number three, uh, God became human flesh. Number three, God became human flesh. Now there's some important statements here, and I want you to write them down correctly if you're taking notes. 
Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. This is very important. Now, there's a lot we could talk about Jesus. We could spend years doing a study on who Jesus is. But these are some of the very basic things about Jesus. He was 100% God and 100% man. Very, very important. He was as much God... Oh, I didn't... I missed some things. He was as much God as if he were not man at all. And he were as much man as if he were not God at all. That's for your ponderer. Think. Think about it. Jesus was as much God as if he were not man, uh, not, not man at all. And he were as much man as if he were not God at all. He was 100% man. All man. And all God, all at once. I mean, this is an amazing thing. Uh, some cults emphasize the humanity, humanity of Christ to the exclusion of his deity. So, again, as I mentioned a couple earlier on tonight, uh, there are a lot of people who believe in Jesus. But not all those who believe in Jesus believe that he was God in human flesh. And that's why I asked you the question to start, who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? Um, to, to a degree, it doesn't matter who he is to us. He is who he is. He is who he says he is. What the Bible says about Jesus is true. But if you and I are going to be, if a person is going to be saved from their sin, then we have to believe what the Bible says about who Jesus is. There's no other way. We have to believe what Jesus said about himself. So in that sense, it. Everything depends upon what we believe about Jesus and who he is. Jesus limited himself, and yet Jesus never ceased to be God. Now, this is kind of hard for us to think about. We're going to talk about something a little bit later on. Um, do you think, and don't answer out loud, I'm, I'm testing your thinkers, um, do you believe that Jesus, during his earthly life, do you think he grew in understanding? Don't don't move. You think he grew in wisdom? You're whispering. Uh, these are these are good questions, and that some of these are hard to answer. Do you think he grew physically? Let me ask you that. Well, we know he did. Um. So here we have, we, have a, we have a man. Jesus was a man. And he, as a man, he grew physically. He grew mentally. He grew in wisdom. Um, he grew in relationships with people socially. Um, he grew in, in several ways. We're going to look at that in just a few moments. But as God, did he have to grow at all? No. He was the one, the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, uh, and He created everything. Without Him, without the Word, nothing existed. It ever, nothing would have ever existed, because Christ, the Word, Jesus, created it all. So as God, Jesus didn't have to learn anything. He knew it all. But as a man... He had to grow in wisdom. Mm, these are hard things. Can you believe something that you cannot explain? Can you believe something that you cannot 
Is it possible to believe in something or believe something that you cannot fully understand and comprehend? I dare say the answer to that is yes. Everybody here this evening jumped in the vehicle and you, you started it. You didn't fully understand all the electrical and you put the accelerator down and you used the brake and a lot of things went into that vehicle that you and I don't understand and yet we have no problem believing that. Uh, he was as much God as if he were not man at all and as much man as if he were not God at all. Um, when we think about Jesus limiting himself, and he did, Jesus limited himself, I, I'm reminded of growing up and wrestling with my dad. And uh, see here, oh, there he is. Okay, so dad, um, he would have a beard sometimes and sometimes he wouldn't have a beard. And uh, he would sometimes pin us down and rub his beard on our faces. Um, and of course, you know, we deserve that because uh, we would tackle him when he walked in the door sometimes. He would barely get his, his bag down and we would be grabbing his legs or his arms and we'd pull him into the family room and, and all of us, and he would pretend, oh no, you're, you're, you're good, oh no, you've got me, and down he would go, you know, and dad's a big, strong guy. And uh, we would wrestle with dad and, uh, and we would think he'd, he'd have us. But as I would get older, as I got older and stronger, I think I began to inflict some pain on my father. And, and the reason I think that is because he began to inflict some pain upon me. Uh, and he would grab me, you know, by the leg and pull me across the rug. And then he would just kind of crunch me there, you know, until I'd say, I can't breathe or I, I, I can't what, you know. He's rubbing his face in my cheek. Sometimes I'd call out for mom to please come and help me, you know, um, save, save me. Dad's tormenting me. Anyway, um, dad, you know, he, he could have hurt all of us children very easily. At any moment, he could have hurt us. He could have hurt all of us. He had power that we could not match. But he would limit his power while he was playing with us and wrestling with us. Um, so Jesus, during his earthly ministry, God limited his power. Uh, letter A says Jesus Christ was a man. He had a human parent. Now, notice I said parent. Uh, why didn't have? Why didn't I say parents? Yes. Why didn't Why didn't I say parents? Will he had? He only had one parent. Right. Only Mary was his mom biologically. Who is his father? God. Okay. By the Holy Spirit. So remember, Jesus was born of the seed of a woman, Mary. He did not have a human father. Joseph was like a foster, a foster parent to, to Jesus. Number two, he, Jesus had human names. He had names, human names, like Jesus, the Son of Man, Jesus of Nazareth, the man Christ Jesus. Number three, he had a human appearance. Jesus was a Hebrew. He would have, he would have looked like the Hebrew people of his day. He possessed the elements of, of, of humanity, of physical nature, body, soul, and spirit. Number four, he had human sinless infirmities. And I wrote down a few of these. One of those was hunger. Hunger. Uh, hunger, thirst. He thirsted. He was, he was tired. He was fatigued at times. He was weary. He was in agony. I mean, these are, these are all human um, infirmities. And they were sinless. 
Number five, Jesus developed in the usual normal way of human development. We know that he was born there in Bethlehem. He was a baby. He didn't go to the cross as a baby. Jesus grew. Okay, he grew physically. Luke chapter 2 and verse 52 is an amazing reality, and I cannot fully understand it. It says this, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor. Now, this is amazing to me. Favor with God and man. Isn't that interesting? Mm. There's a lot there. Wisdom. Uh, that would be in reference to him mentally. Stature would be how he grew physically. He developed. He increased in stature physically. Favor with God. That would be spiritually. And favor with man would be socially. Um, and letter B, why did God become flesh? Why did God become flesh? This is a very important question. And I think there are several reasons for this. One of them is primary. I think, Rob, you mentioned one is an example. I'm going to give you a third reason as well why Jesus came in human flesh. Why did God become human flesh? Uh, well, first of all, I think to empathize with our weaknesses. To empathize with our weaknesses. In his humanity, he faced the same weaknesses as us. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Isn't that amazing? He was touched with the feeling of our infirmities and was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus lived and endured life as a human being and can empathize with us. There's nothing that you or I go through that Jesus cannot empathize with. He can empathize with us. And number two, to be our example. To be our example. Jesus is our example. In our study in 1 Peter, Peter is actually going to talk about this. Repeatedly, this comes up in the Bible that Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example. When Rob mentioned this, he is, Rob said it this way, he's my example. Um, are we following Jesus' example? That's a great question. Am I following his example? And we have to be careful we don't say, well, you know what? He has no idea what I'm going through. That's not true. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows what every single one of us are going through. Jesus is our example, and he can empathize with us. The primary reason that Jesus came, though, as God, God came in human flesh, was to be our substitute. To be our substitute. Isaiah 53 and verse 4, the Bible says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him, stricken and smitten of God, afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Why did God become a man? Why did God come to this world for the religious leaders to tell him he was a liar? Why did God come to this world to walk amongst his creation and for them to reject him? 
God came to this world to take all of our sins upon his body and die in our place. That's why God came to this world as a man, as Jesus, to pay the price for our sin. That's why God came. John chapter 3 and verse 17, it says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, there's only one way for a person to be saved, and that is to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. To believe that he is God. To believe that he loves us. To believe that he took our sins upon his body. To believe that he died. To believe that he rose again. To believe that he's going to rule and reign for all of eternity. That's how a person is saved, by believing upon Jesus Christ. You know, as perfect God, Jesus could die upon the cross for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ was perfect. And that's in your notes, in the blanks. Jesus Christ was perfect and is perfect. Jesus became like sinful flesh, but he did not come in sinful flesh. Romans 8 and verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. I tell you, I love him. I love him. From a boy, my parents taught me who Jesus was. You know, they were honest with me about who I was, about my sinfulness. And they taught me that, that God came as a man, Jesus, and he lived a sinless life, and he died for me, for my sins, so that I could be saved from death and hell to come. And I'm thankful, Mom and Dad, for you teaching me that. And I'm teaching my children that. And I want them to teach their children that. And I want to teach, I want my neighbors to know that. I want this town to know that. Jesus is God, and he came and he died for you and for me. And Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus is the theme of the Bible. The Old Testament foretold his coming. The Gospels give us the account of his life on earth. The epistles in the book of Revelation reveal that he's coming again someday. What a person does with the doctrine of Jesus Christ, though, determines their success in this life and for all of eternity. So again, I ask you the question, who is Jesus Christ to you? Who is he to you? Is he just a name? I hope not. I hope he's more than that. I hope you love him dearly. I hope you know it personally. Because that's, he came, he, not just to pay your price for sin, but when you receive him as your personal savior, he comes within and he lives within you. And he will rule and he will reign and he will guide and he will comfort and console he is, as we have sung it before, he is our all in all. There are a number of names in the Bible that tell us who Jesus is. I'm going to read some of them as we close. Jesus is the Almighty. And just listen to these names. He's the Almighty. He is our advocate. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the bread of life. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the good shepherd. He is the great high priest. He is the I am. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lamb of God. He is the light of the world. 
He is the resurrection and the life. He is the door. He is the way. He is the word. He is the truth. He is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. And his name is wonderful because Jesus is wonderful. There's a a short writing that I can remember when I was a teenager. We did did this little, I don't know if I would call it a drama. Was it a reader's theater, I think it was called? And this was what we, we memorized and we worked on together. It's called The Incomparable Christ. It goes like this. More than 2,000 years ago, there was a man born contrary to nature. He didn't have a father. He laid aside his purple robe for a peasant's tunic. He was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. This man lived in poverty and was raised in obscurity. He received no formal education and never possessed wealth or widespread influence. He never traveled extensively. He seldom crossed the boundary of the country in which he lived. But this man's life has changed the course of history. In infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he amazed religious scholars. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature, walked on stormy waves and hushed the raging sea to sleep. He healed multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his services. He never practiced psychiatry, yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors far and near. He never wrote a book, yet his life has inspired more books than any other man. He never wrote a song, yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all songwriters combined. He never founded a college, but all the schools put together cannot boast of having as many students. He never marshaled an army. He never drafted a soldier or fired a gun. Yet no leader ever had more rebels surrender to him without a shot fired. Herod could not kill him. Satan could not seduce him. His enemies could not destroy him. The grave could not hold him. And after three days, he rose from the dead and he lives forevermore. He is the ever perfect one. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. And this man stands forth upon the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory. Proclaimed by God, acknowledged by angels, adored by his people, feared by demons. He is the risen Lord. He is the Savior. And he is Jesus Christ. And why do we gather? Why do we assemble? We assemble to worship him, to follow him, to love him, to please him. And someday, as Mr. Gebhardt experienced this last week, to see him face to face. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our love. He's worthy of our adoration. And he will never leave you. And he will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. He is everything. As the Old Testament put it, when Moses asked God, well, whom shall I tell them sent me? And God told Moses, you tell them I am sent you. Mrs. Lee, you pointed this out a, a month or two ago, I think. We were in John. It must have been more, longer ago than that. Jesus was talking, and he is the I am. He is the I am. He is God, and he is nothing else. I'm going to ask Pastor Toman to come, and we're going to sing a hymn.